Hi, my name is Jonathan, and welcome to episode four of the weekly podcast Pulp, where we take a journey one page at a time through the literary underground of pulp fiction. This episode is going to be a little different from the others because the pulps weren't just known for short stories. In fact, they published all types of content, from true crime to personal accounts and investigational nonfiction, and everything from poetry to serials all the way up to full novels. And that's where we are going to start with today's show. This episode will kick off our very first novel presentation, which we will deliver to you part by part every couple of weeks until we get to the end. We are also kicking off a new genre with this one as well, and that is the Western. Tales of gunslingers, romance, and life on the frontier with all its horror and grandeur were a staple of the industry. And there were plenty of titles to slake the thirst for the Old West. Cowboy stories, ranch romances, star western, western story magazine, and not to mention general adventure titles like Blue Book, Argosy, and Adventure Magazine. The western silent film genre was already popular by the 19-teens, but if you wanted to experience the dynamism and character of the West before the invention of the talkies, you had one place to turn, and that was the pulps. Today's story, Two Gun Sue, was first published in the February 4, 1922 issue of Argosy, All Story Weekly. It was split over multiple issues and was written by Douglas Grant. This story follows the titular character Sue Poindexter and her two younger siblings as they struggle to run their family ranch after their father's passing. The trio find themselves besieged on all sides by rustlers, con artists, and debt collectors in this distinctive tale. It is even considered by scholars to be one of the formative tales of Old West mythology. Funny thing though, the writer Douglas Grant wasn't Douglas Grant. It was a pen name for Isabel Ostrander. Ostrander wrote more than 24 novels and short stories over her career, often under pseudonyms, but by the late 1920s had become so well known for her westerns and mysteries that she was even homaged by the great Agatha Christie. So, without further ado, sit back, turn out the lights, and let me tell you a story. Chapter 1. Nipped Wires Taking them by and large, there ain't a female in the country can ride like our gals of the Circle Six. Tad Mason stretched out his short, plump legs in the shade of the bunkhouse wall and watched with admiring approval the slim, graceful figure loping out through the ranch gate. The little one just sits that bronc like she was part of it. She sure does, Link Dole agreed, but without enthusiasm as he shifted his quid from one cadaverous cheek to the other. She'll be riding out to meet that Easterner again, the one that's staying down at the Central Hotel. Beats all how they'll take to something different, don't it? Ever since the dance over at the Bar D where this Chandler hombre showed her them new steps, it looks like us punchers won no more account than a bunch of yearling shorthorns to Miss Sylvie. Oh well. It ain't often anything as citified as him drifts out to this cow town, Link. And fur as we know, it ain't nothing agin him, Ted remarked easily. He looks you straight in the eye when he talks, and though he don't go moseying around with no chip on his shoulder, there's a set to him as if he could take care of himself when it comes to a little mix-up. What's he here for anyway? Link spat copiously, and a nondescript dog which had been hovering about ingratiatingly, he took himself out of range in haste. 
He ain't after cows or white face, and he don't appear to be a lunger. While as for ranching, it ain't no ways likely that he's staying at the Central Hotel for the sake of the grub and the pints of interest around Dexter. Folks usually declare themselves to one another around these parts. Suppose you asked him if you're so plumb curious. Tad rose as a grizzled, weather-beaten individual sauntered around the corner of the bunkhouse. Clint's in yet from riding line, Wes? Wes Hayward, foreman of the Circle Six, shook his head, but turned once more to scan the grassy rolling plain before he replied. No, don't expect him back before sundown, but it's Lee I'm studying about. I told the kid there was enough of the boys to ride line without him taking things into his own hands, especially now that there's bad blood between him and Jake Brower. But he allowed he was boss of the ranch and he wasn't afeard of Jake and his pack of thieving, rustling greasers. He's just naturally brash and looking for trouble. Old man Poindexter wouldn't have dodged any that was going. And his boy ain't likely to, Tad observed. He always was a game little cuss. But I thought that college would have put kid gloves, la dee da dees in his head. It ain't, though. Not a mite. He wants to take Holt, that's all. He ain't no more boss of the Circle Six than his sisters are. And Miss Susanna leaves everything to you, Wes. You been running the ranch ever since the three of them was knee-high to a coyote. Why don't you speak to Miss Sue if the kid's hankering for a showdown with Jake and his bunch? Demanded Link. Because I aim to keep him out of trouble without tattling to his sisters. Wes scratched his head reflectively. You two boys are the only ones in this outfit who was here in the old man's day. And you know, same as I do, how his fool notions about breeding in fancy cows ate up all he could borrow on the land. Last year's drought kind of got us behind hand with the interest. That and keeping the kid in college and... That lawyer fella down in Mammon City has been pestering Miss Sue again. She's got enough on her hands, and I ain't gonna worry her to none about Lee. If I keep him from a run-in with Jake and his outfit, there's nothing she could say to him. There ain't been no more rustling than in other years, and nothing to connect up Jake and his greasers with it, except in that talk of Rosa Del Rio's after Felix Masega gave her the go-by. Tad's good-natured face lengthened into lugubrious lines. It's a plum almighty shame about Miss Sue having everything on her shoulders, scratching dirt to put that kid through college, and learning Miss Sylvie all she got herself from these two years schooling in Kansas City, where her pa sent her that time. Jumping snakes, I'd turn rustler myself if it would help her keep the circle six. There ain't no question of losing the ranch. Link's habitual drawl quickened with emphasis as he turned to the foreman suddenly. Wes, you been hearing anything about that hombre from the east? Who's staying at the Central Hotel? Can't say as I have. Wes responded cautiously, and his shrewd, kindly eyes narrowed. I seen him look up on in Pharaoh Jim's once or twice, but he wasn't playing. What you been hearing about him? Nothing, nor nobody else. He's kinder took up with some of the Bardee outfit, but the sucker's such a bum rider that his pants actually fit him. Link spat once more in supreme contempt. Chandler, his name is, and he allows to come from New York, but that's every living thing he's let on about himself. He ambles off every day on one of Sim Moser's bronks, but nobody savvies where. Lesson it's to look at the scenery. 
What's he doing around Dexter anyways? Link's afeard he's nosing around our corral, chuckled Tad. Miss Sylvie ain't had eyes for none of us since she met up with him at the Bar D dance. And it's only natural, for she's known us all her life, and there ain't a man jack of us that she ain't been able to wrap around her finger from the time she could sit her first pinto. She's plum tickled cause he treats her as if she was a growed up lady, and I suspicion she's like to rope him and turn him loose again. Just to show she can. Gals act that way, mostly. A heap you savvy about em, Link snorted. There's plenty of young ones in this country without Miss Sylvie roping in no strange maverick. What's that? He had jumped to his feet, and now the foreman wheeled and followed the direction of his gaze. It's Clint! The latter exclaimed. Forty-four Clinton, he's coming to hell for Sunday. Something's broke loose! The puff of white dust upon the road had spread into a swirling cloud, and from it materialized the form of a rider bent low, over the neck of his running horse, whose sudden, wild spurts indicated the dig of spurs. Tad made one leap in the direction of the corral and then paused, and all three men waited until the horse swerved in the gate and drew up on sliding haunches before them. Wires down beyond the creek, the rider announced breathlessly. They was okay at sundown. Ground ain't trampled none, Wes interrupted tersely. Only on the other side, and the trail leads north. Clint Beckett's good-looking boyish face was set in grim lines. Moreover, them wires ain't tore loose. They've been nipped clean. Clint, you didn't see nothing of Lee? Tad began anxiously, but again the foreman interrupted. He's riding line on the east section. Link, you shoot into Dexter for Matt Cooley and a couple of his deputies. Get a fresh bronc. Clint, you and Tad come with me. We'll show them rustlers. The men raced for the corral with one accord and presently the dust rose again, thicker than before upon the road, to settle slowly when quiet brooded once more upon the Circle Six. Meanwhile, on the highway which skirted the little cattle town of Dexter, local usage had years since abbreviated its name from that of its founder, the late owner of the Circle Six. Out beyond the eating house and the railroad, a girl had halted her bronco in the shade of a clump of mesquite bushes. She was winsomely pretty, with a mutinous, provocative curve of her red lips and an imperious tilt of the small, pointed chin which argued the already awakened knowledge of her power, despite the boyishly immature figure that betrayed her extreme youth. The road in each direction stretched deserted and still under the glare of the sun, and Sylvia's blue eyes snapped with vexation as she pulled off her broad-brimmed hat and pushed back the dampened gold curls that clustered around her forehead. Then, all at once, her eyes softened, and with a little smile she slipped lightly from her saddle and engaged herself busily in an elaborate pretense of cinching her girth. A lone figure on horseback had rounded the bend ahead at an easy lope, whistling a catchy melody that more properly belonged to the environment of Broadway than the plains. At the sight of her, the whistling stopped, and he urged his bronco forward, flinging himself carelessly from the saddle before he had fairly reined in beside her. The newcomer was a clean-cut, athletic-looking young man, attired in the faultlessly tailored riding clothes which had aroused Link Dole's contempt. But, although his glossy brown hair had been sleekly brushed until it shone, there was nothing weak or foppish in the expression of his steady gray eyes and firm, though humorously mobile mouth. In trouble, Miss Poindexter, will you allow me? 
His voice was pleasantly modulated, and the crisp enunciation was in marked contrast to the nasal masculine drawl to which the girl was accustomed. She blushed and drew in a little quick breath. If, if you don't mind, Mr. Chandler, I think the girth has gotten loose in some way. He adjusted it gravely, and though there was a gleam of amusement in his eyes at her transparency, no hint of it betrayed itself in his tone as he remarked, There, it only needed taking up a bit, you see. You don't often come by this road, do you? Sylvia shook her head. You don't either. I'm, I mean, I never seen you out this way before, she amended hurriedly. I thought I'd ride out and see old Miss Bentley this afternoon, but it got so hot and my saddle kept slipping. It was fortunate for me then that I happened along. May I ride back a little way with you if you have decided to return to the Circle Six? Garrison Chandler had familiarized himself with the roads about Dexter, and he knew that the one upon which this innocently beguiling infant had waylaid him was a roundabout way indeed to the Bentley Ranch. But there was only grave deference in the manner with which he cupped her tiny foot in his hand and assisted her to mount once more. It, it seems to me there's a little breeze coming up, don't you think so? Sylvia turned the full battery of her limpid round eyes upon him as he stood for a moment beside her. We could take the trail up over Grosscup's pool if you're not in a hurry to get back to Dexter. Indeed, I'm not. Grosscup's pool sounds refreshing. It lies to the north, doesn't it? He turned his bronco's head, vaulted into the saddle, and they cantered off side by side at an easy gait. It's where the creek which crosses our ranch winds around the northeast and widens out in a basin of rocks in the gully, Sylvia explained. Grosscup was a prospector who came looking for gold ever so long ago, and was supposed to have discovered it there and gone crazy from the joy over it. But nobody else ever found any. I like it because it's cool and shady and mossy, and it's so out of the way that hardly anybody goes there. She did not add that as the one spot in the vicinity which most nearly approached her conception of a romantic setting, she had led more than one awkward and bashful swain thither to torment him with her newly found coquetry. But she meant to test its effect now upon this maddeningly cool, self-contained denizen of a world which she knew only vicariously through the medium of magazines and bestsellers. Without knowing why, she resented the fact that his amused, tolerant attitude should disconcert her, and more than anything else in her humored, adulated young life, she wanted to bring him to her feet. Tad Mason's estimate had not been far from the truth. I haven't seen your brother since I met him at the Bar D, Gary Chandler remarked when they had turned down the highway into a lesser trail. Oh, Lee is riding line, responded Sylvia absently. He is getting back into harness again, so as to take over management of the ranch now that he has finished college. But your foreman? Wes Hayward's all right, of course and I don't suppose we should know what to do without him. But it's not like having an owner at the head of things. You don't know much about ranch, and do you, Mr. Chandler? He shook his head smilingly. I've had my first glance at it during these last few weeks, but it seems to be a great life, a real man's game. I should imagine, though, that a girl would find it monotonous and a trifle lonely. It's unspeakable. Sylvia gave a vicious little jerk upon her bronco's mouth never going anywhere or meeting the right sort of people. I wonder that Lee can settle down contentedly to it after having been away to college. But he's like Susanna. 
just simply crazy about carrying out father's plan to make the Circle Six the greatest ranch in this section of the state. Sue has managed it ever since father's death, you know. And Mr. Hayward says there isn't a better man on the place. I... I hate it. I have heard a great deal about your sister, although I haven't had the honor of meeting her yet. The easy tolerance was gone from Gary's voice, and he spoke with unconsciously quickened interest. The other ranch owners hereabout have a tremendous respect for her. They tell me that she can rope, and brand, and cut cattle out of a milling bunch as expertly as any puncher could, and that she's quite a remarkable shot, too. Yes. Sylvia's keen ear had caught and as instantly resented the change in his tone, and her own was edged slightly with sarcasm. Oh, you can imagine how proudly you must feel to hear your sister called Two-Gun Sue. Oh, I know it was meant to be a compliment and Sue just laughed when she heard it first, but I think it's a disgrace. As though she were some sort of dreadful hold-up person. And she needn't have bothered with the ranch at all. Wes Hayward was perfectly capable of running everything. But she simply would. Of course, no, no girl back east where you come from would think of doing such things. I doubt if many of them are strong and clever enough to be able to learn. Certainly none that I know of would be capable of running a great cattle ranch. Gary smiled himself at the mental picture that rose before him of some of the feminine members of his own set with which he played about in town, and at the seashore and at the country clubs. And if they were suddenly to be transplanted to the Circle Six, what could she be like? The hard-riding, straight-shooting sister of this animated pink-and-white doll at his side. For the first time since he had heard of her, Gary felt an active curiosity concerning Susanna Poindexter, and a whimsical determination was born to meet this elusive woman. Your sister wasn't at the Bar D dance, was she? He asked, pursuing his own train of thought. Doesn't she care for such things? I suppose so. I don't know. There was a trace of petulance in Sylvia's tone. Sue hardly ever goes. She's out and about the ranch from dawn, you know, and evenings she fusses over the accounts and talks business with Wes Hayward. She hasn't been any fun at all since father died. She won't let me do half the things I want to, or go visiting anywhere. You see, Sue brought me up, and she can't seem to realize that I'm not a child any longer. Elder sisters cannot sometimes, I am told. Gary laughed. Could it be that Susanna was dour and weather-beaten? From the honest, if rough, admiration he had heard expressed by the boss of the Bar D outfit, and more than one of Dexter's leading citizens. The sheriff, Big Matt Cooley, for instance, had boasted with respectful pride that it was he who had taught Miss Susanna to shoot from the hip as soon as her small finger had strength enough to pull the trigger. And Big Matt himself was obviously not too far over the forty mark. Miss Susanna could therefore not be much older than her sister had unconsciously given him to infer. But had it been done quite unconsciously? Was there latent, if crudely practiced, guile beneath this ingenuous unsophistication? Gary turned slightly and glanced at the young girl by his side to find her staring straight before her with a little angry light in her eyes, and her rosebud mouth drawn resentfully at the corners. As though conscious of his gaze, she turned to him with a smile half mirthful and half defiant. Sue will have to realize that I'm grown up soon, for when I'm of an age I mean to sell out my third of the ranch and go everywhere and have everything that the other girls have, she declared. Then her eyes fell and a dainty flush swept across her cheeks. But you, you're not interested in the troubles of poor little me. Indeed I am, he played up mechanically. If you're not in sympathy with the plans of your sister and brother, and unsuited to the rough sort of existence out here, it, it would be a shame for you to bury yourself on the plains. 
It is a hazardous life, too, for a woman, isn't it? Of course, the dangers of pioneer days are long past, but there are tales of cattle thieves. Rustlers, Sylvia shrugged, and lowlifes run off with a few of our cows now and then. But I shouldn't be let out of the corral if there was any real danger. There's the pool straight ahead. The road dipped sharply and curved to avoid a gully walled with rocks, between which rose clumps of trees to shade the rippling pool below. The springs which fed it on either side caused the creek to widen out here into a natural basin, and from the natural outlet the tinkle of falling water came refreshingly to their ears. The Broncos picked their way eagerly through, sure-footed down the steep path, and after permitting them to drink sparingly, Gary tethered them and joined Sylvia, who had seated herself on a mossy rock beside a merrily bubbling spring. It's pretty here, isn't it? she asked. An enchanting spot, Gary agreed enthusiastically. But I thought you said nobody ever came here. Somebody has invaded your fairyland, Miss Poindexter. There are ashes over there on an impoverished stone fireplace and the remains of food. Surely we are too far from the railroad for tramps. Campers, maybe, and punchers hiking north, Sylvia replied indifferently. Some of them are born rovers, you know, and won't stay long in any one ranch after the spring roundup. By the way, your brother invited me out to the Circle Six. With the riding crop that he carried in lieu of a quirt, Gary had been prodding the moss in a crevice between the stones of his feet, but now he turned and looked into her eyes. Won't you too ask me to come before I leave for the east? Why, of course, she stammered, impatient of the blush which she could feel rising once more into her cheeks beneath his glance. I should have asked you before, but out here we sort of expect people to take our hospitality for granted. You must have thought it dreadfully ill-mannered of me. On the contrary, I've been curious about you ever since I met you, Miss Poindexter, he retorted truthfully enough. At the risk of having you think me rude in my turn, I have wondered. You say you've never been anywhere, and yet your manner. You're not like the other young people I've met hereabouts in some of the boom towns. Sylvia dimpled, and then her lip curled slightly. Like the other ranch girls, you mean? She supplemented. I don't talk like a puncher, or eat with my knife, or wear cheap finery. Father was a professor down in a little freshwater college in the south before his lungs gave out. And he came here ahead of the railroad and started Circle Six with a few head of miserable half-starved shorthorns. Mother followed him out west, and, and then other ranchers settled around. And that brought a store, and a hotel, and, and some saloons, and gambling places that strung themselves out on a single street and called it Dexter. It will never be anything but a cow town, of course, but father was always proud of it. After Sue was born, he sent for books and taught her until it was time for her to go to Kansas City to school. And he prepared Lee for his entrance examinations for college before he died. We, we aren't just heathen, you see, Mr. Chandler. You know, I never thought that you were, he responded laughingly. But his thoughts reverted once more to the unknown other girl. So your sister went to school in Kansas City? Sylvia bit her lip. Bother, Sue. Why should he keep talking about her when he hadn't even seen her, and he had spoken of going away? You don't expect to stay very much longer in Dexter? She ignored his question. I must start for the East in a few days, a week at the most, he replied. I have idled about here longer than I intended as it is, but I found this part of the country unexpectedly interesting. Sylvia promptly accepted the rather vague explanation as a subtly meant compliment to herself, but dismay at the concrete fact of his imminent departure swallowed up all the other emotion. A week? She repeated forlornly in naive self-betrayal. Yes, 
We'll have one more opportunity to try out those new steps I showed you, though, if you will be kind enough to save me a dance or two on Saturday night. He spoke lightly, but in a slightly more formal tone, after a quick side glance at her. Good lord, the child wasn't going to weep over his departure, was she? A few dances? A ride or so together? With never a touch of the hand or a word which might remotely be construed as anything but the most casual, friendly conversation? And yet those astonishingly blue eyes of hers had seemed suddenly to have misted with tears. Gary was not vain enough to be under any delusion that the girl had fallen in love with him, but he was touched by her attitude even while it discomforted him. Poor little thing! She was only interested in him because he was the first Easterner she had encountered. She hadn't learned to dissemble with her first breath like the girls of his own set at home. You're going to go to that affair at the Triangle Four, aren't you? His momentary pause for reflection had given Sylvia time to recover herself, and she replied with elaborate indifference. I suppose Lee will let me. But it is funny to hear you call it an affair, Mr. Chandler. I am not ridiculing the hospitality of my friends out here, but a wheezy player piano and an uneven floor and a supper that comes mostly from tin cans wouldn't be called that back east, would it? Despite herself, a note of bitterness had crept into her tones, and, as though conscious of it herself, she rose suddenly. It's getting late, don't you think? If I'm not home by sundown, Sue will have the whole outfit riding the range for me. This episode was co-produced by Melissa Starr. The music in today's episode was provided by Epidemic Music. And the clip we played at the beginning was Space Pioneers from Universal International Newsreels, 1952. If you like Pulp, check out our sister podcast, The Curious Matter Anthology, where we present cinematically produced full-cast audio drama adaptations of stories from some of the greatest writers in science fiction and horror. Here on Pulp, we release a new episode every week, so make sure to subscribe for free on the platform of your choice, and if you can, leave us a 5-star rating or review today. You can also follow the show on Twitter at PulpThePodcast, or reach out to me directly via email at jonathan at pulpthepodcast.com. I'm Jonathan Pezza, your host, and thank you for listening. <laughs>